Not too long ago, Hulu released a movie that defied a lot of the crap Hollywood's been putting out lately. But how did the other two legs of the triangle react? Can critics and audiences be trusted to evaluate content? And will other creatives take note and follow behind? I'm Harry, and this is Trash Talk Reverse. Welcome to Trash Talk Reverse, where I trash talk the entertainment industry, or I do the reverse. Last episode, I mentioned something called the Triangle of Hollywood, but today I want to dive more into it. To quickly recap, Hollywood runs on this triangle of critics, audiences, and creatives. All three of them feed off each other and cultivate the Hollywood that we know today. I'm including executives with creatives because that whole leg basically refers to the people responsible for putting out content. And the reason I want to get into this is because recently I saw a movie that I thought was amazing, but the critics' ratings had me wondering, like, what the hell is wrong with them? Without spoiling anything, Hulu's film Boston Strangler is about these two women working at a newspaper in the 60s when they catch on to a possible serial killer. At the time I watched it, which was right when it came out, it had 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, technically that's not bad, but it's so much lower than it deserves. It had a 68% when I checked recently, but from my perspective, I mean, this was the type of movie that would typically be in the high 80s to low 90s and work its way into several Oscar noms. Looking at some of the reviews, I was like, are y'all lacking basic critical thinking and empathy? I personally try to stay away from true crime since it's really overdone or glorifies the killer somehow, but this one was so well packaged being from the journalism standpoint and centering around women's experiences. Plus the ending when she makes her deduction, it felt fresh and earned and not forced. Maybe some people didn't like it because it doesn't show women being brutally murdered and it doesn't glorify the killer and it doesn't come right out and tell you what all the themes are one by one because a good movie should let you inherently experience or understand the theme. There's a lot of takeaways from this film and it seems like the critics who reviewed this didn't expect to have to think for themselves or they're just mad they didn't get what they wanted. I know this is a really random movie to warrant a whole rant, but it really got me thinking about the film criticism complex. Why does it feel like so much of the time critics hate good movies and love bad ones? I thought most people didn't really care about the critics, but the movie subreddit tells me otherwise. There's a thread I found asking about preferring critic reviews or audience reviews, and let me read some of the comments from these self-proclaimed film buffs. Critics mostly, because they are generally more objective in a time of internet. What? Objective? By whose standards? Another one says, Critics evaluate the quality of a film, whereas audiences usually evaluate enjoyability. Man, what the hell are you talking about? Quality and enjoyability are usually directly related. If a movie is not enjoyable, then it's not good by definition. The whole point of a movie is to create an experience that the audience enjoys. And yes, you can enjoy the experience of watching a movie with an uncomfortable or dark premise. Enjoyable doesn't just mean movies that are fun. If you want, you can even use another word in place of enjoyable, like satisfying or engaging. Now, being enjoyable doesn't necessarily mean it's of the highest caliber, but movies are not simply about the substance, they're also about the way that substance is packaged and expressed. If you make a movie about an extremely important topic, but you present it in a really boring way with a boring story and boring characters, you have failed. But of course, critics would probably love you anyway for doing the bare minimum of mentioning that topic, so maybe that's worth it to you. Here's another comment. Critics are experienced in evaluating films objectively on the basis of direction, script, pacing, etc. No, they are not. Critics are usually journalism majors or English and writing majors who are experienced in writing essays. There's probably some film and media studies majors too, but they don't learn about story and emotion. They learn about boring crap like theory or they learn about history, which doesn't really have much to do with reviewing a movie. As someone who majored in film in college, I'll tell you that film theory and analysis is bogged down in stuff that only academics would really be getting into. For one of my classes, I remember picking a scene from the TV show The Americans and analyzing how the placement of characters around a dinner table creates empathy for the criminals. That essay was some BS, by the way, like Paige sitting here and her parents sitting there doesn't merit an entire paper. This is what film majors do with movies and TV. Film reviews and film analysis are like two completely different things, just like in literature. I'll take this example of Moby Dick. 
a book with so many themes and discussing so many topics ranging from whaling and science to philosophy and religion to fate and society, but if you actually try to read the book, you'll want to kill yourself. It's so insanely boring and dry, it actually has multiple chapters dedicated to whaling techniques. Like, who the hell cares how you cut blubber from a whale? Now, some film majors might have also taken classes on screenwriting and filmmaking, but they're not learning cut and dry right or wrong about movies. They're learning technical stuff like how to set up your camera and what's the three-act structure. And they're practicing writing and workshopping and they're consuming films and scripts curated by the professors to help students learn more about the medium. No one is taught in school what makes a movie or show or even what makes a book or a song or any piece of media and art good or bad. I feel like you learn these things inherently through experience consuming and also sometimes creating. So if critics are said to be experienced in evaluating films objectively because of exposure to content and prior critical literature, then shouldn't creatives have that same validity because they've also had that exposure? Are audience members with extensive letterbox records the same caliber of critic as someone who writes reviews for a major publication as their day job? Being a critic doesn't have any qualifications other than you've written a bunch of reviews and eventually maybe people start to take you seriously because of your essay writing skills. Here's another comment that just really makes no damn sense. Critics, 100%. Audiences never know what they want from a film. Critics have studied the form enough to have a stronger idea of what makes something worth the audience's time. Well, we just talked about this. There's a lot of overlap in the triangle between people who've studied the form and also tons of overlap among those who haven't. I get what they're saying in that, yes, a lot of audiences are very easy to influence or they'll just watch whatever gets put in front of them, but critics don't know what the hell they're talking about either. So many critics highly rate the most boring-ass pointless movies you've ever seen just because it feels like an Oscar movie. It also feels like some critics just pull up a copy of Blake Snyder's Save the Cat and mark, okay, does this movie have inciting incident on this minute of the movie? But then other critics will penalize a film for doing literally anything, any little thing that they saw in another movie. Why do we give these people so much credit? By the way, if you haven't heard of Save the Cat, it's basically this screenwriting book that explains this formulaic screenplay structure. I personally haven't read the book because I think it's some nonsense, but I have seen graphics that show the book's formula and they have things like, okay, inciting incident needs to happen by this page or you need to state the theme on this page. I don't know if they mean literally state the theme, but I guess they mean be super duper clear about it. And it's odd, because first of all, movies tend to have multiple themes just inherently built into the story. But second of all, viewers should experience the theme just through the story itself. They shouldn't need to be told what it is, much less on a certain minute of the movie. In Boston Strangler, one of the multiple themes is about the difficulties women dealt with in the 60s. But nobody even subliminally states this. It's simply expressed by the character's experiences. Like, this isn't a spoiler, but the movie starts out with the main character stuck working as a product reviewer at the paper with other women in the lifestyle section. No one has to come out and say what the dynamic here is. There's no big speech about, oh, I'm an oppressed woman. The discrimination is simply evident throughout the course of the film as the main storyline covers the two women hunting down the answers to the series of crimes. So in regard to this, some critics said the movie focused too much on the main character's home life and the 60s working woman stuff, even though that was clearly part of the theme, while other reviewers said they didn't focus enough on it, even though there was obviously a bigger thing going on. So we now have negative reviews with completely opposing opinions. How the hell are we supposed to take y'all seriously now? So whoever says that critics perfectly grasp the form, clearly they don't because y'all can't even agree on something as simple as this. Now on the other hand, there's some movies that do a lot and say nothing at all. They make you feel like you wasted your time because it was completely pointless and critics will still give it a good review just because they brought up certain topics. Actually, this crosses over to TV as well because it reminds me how comedy TV shows like Modern Family would integrate tons of commentary on family and society and whatnot and still be super cleverly written and funny. But a lot of modern prestige comedy shows are basically just dramas with random unfunny jokes or lighthearted moments scattered throughout. Rather than utilizing the genre of comedy, it's literally just a drama that isn't entirely serious enough to be a drama, I guess. Or if it does try to be a comedy, it still sandwiches in random dramatic moments between all the failed forced attempts at trying to be funny. Like the show Reboot on Hulu, which is about a reboot of an old sitcom and it makes fun of these old sitcoms, I guess, and Hollywood's reboot obsession. Honestly, I've never seen something so bad, but it has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, probably because of the premise alone. 
It seems that oftentimes stuff gets critically acclaimed simply for talking about a topic or being super plot twisty every five seconds. I actually saw an article on Screen Rant that sort of downplayed Modern Family by saying it had never dared to be subversive or challenge the status quo like Community and Arrested Development. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I really like Arrested Development, but I'm not sure exactly what makes it challenge the status quo in a way Modern Family didn't, because they're both mockumentary-style shows about dysfunctional families. Is it that Arrested Development is less family-friendly? The writing in Modern Family is so sharp and layered and elevated, minus a couple questionable storyline choices later on down the line. And the entire concept is literally subversive. Gay main characters, just gay people being normalized and treated like regular people and showcasing the families that they have, and non-white main characters integrated into interracial families, and Claire and Gloria both transitioning from stay-at-home moms back into working women. Like, that's why the show is called Modern Family, because it changed Hollywood status quo of what the family unit looks like and acts like in America. But maybe it gets points docked for being rated TVPG. As for the show Community, I mean, that show is literally just the characters doing nothing every episode, and once in a while they make fun of a TV trope, I guess? How is that more subversive? The media constantly overpraises films and shows simply for including something or being a little different or being more edgy or more adult rather than actually developing their commentary or, you know, being good. Here's another dumb comment from Reddit. Critics 90% of the time, they study the art of film and understand what makes a great film. They take into account the importance of story, cinematography, acting, set design, camera shots, etc. As I said earlier, they study movies like high schoolers study books. It doesn't automatically qualify them to understand what makes a good film. And they don't always understand these individual aspects either. Also, I feel like there's two ways to judge a movie, and when I'm thinking about how good a movie is, the story is the one that takes precedence. And then the technical aspects can be the cherry on top. Like, cinematography is not going to make a boring movie suddenly interesting. But good cinematography can elevate great story. I mean, sure, go ahead and include set design and costumes and music and VFX and things like that just to comment on how good or bad you think they are and their impact on the story and the viewing experience. But a review should primarily be about the movie's content, the story, the plot, the characters, pacing, etc. For instance, the movie Dune came out like two years ago and the technical stuff like editing and cinematography and sound design were all really good. But if I were to review this movie for potential audiences who hadn't seen it yet, I would focus on the fact that the first hour was incredibly boring and dry and the rest of it, while at least more enjoyable to get through, was ultimately pretty forgettable. Now, this same person also said about critics, they are not so picky like audiences about plot holes when it's the overall narrative that's important and the message the director is trying to tell. This is dumb as hell, because of course stuff like plot holes is important. The whole point of the plot is to convey whatever emotions and themes the storytellers intend. Actually, it's ironic, because what critics do go after are irrelevant little details. Like when people criticize action movies for not being realistic enough, I just have to roll my eyes, because it's an action movie. So who cares if physics disallows this character from being able to jump from one building to another based on how far he ran before jumping? That's not going to prevent my enjoyment of the movie, and if anything, action movies should be even crazier, more creative, more fun, more interesting. And the same with cartoons or animated stuff, like don't get mad at Doofenshmirtz's logic, because that's just funny. But here's an example of a critically acclaimed film where the plot logic really ruined a potentially good movie for me. The movie Prisoners from 2013 had this theme about how far a parent would go and would they stoop as low as the alleged criminal. And it was doing a good job of exemplifying that theme. But when they revealed the answers, it didn't logically work with a lot of what they established before. And also the culprit's reasoning for kidnapping the main character and his neighbor's daughters was literally so stupid. And it actually hurt the theme of the movie. On top of that, the main character did something unfortunately very common in film and TV. He went off to confront the culprit alone without telling anyone where he was going. And of course he got stuck in a bad situation. Like, how can you as a critic just ignore stuff like that? I'm sure there's some instances where the plot issue isn't big enough to ruin the movie or the enjoyable experience. But when writers do dumb stuff in a story just to make other stuff happen, it deserves criticism. And if you as a critic can't recognize that, then you suck. Now to finish off this person's comment, they continue by saying that audiences are super biased. Well, duh, but critics are biased too. 
To see critics as this ray of objectivity is part of what's wrong with Hollywood and the content that gets put out. Critics, as we've established, can be wrong a lot and dislike things just because they themselves are dumb and miss the point or have bad taste. Also, I worked at a TV network for a bit and there I learned that their publicity department literally sends gifts to journalists in the media that write reviews and things like that. And they track journalists and influencers and reviewers on social media and anyone who expresses some interest or says something nice, even before the show's out, they get presents. These supposedly esteemed reviewers from major publications have networks and relationships in Hollywood just like everyone else, so to see them as objective beacons, you gotta be naive as hell. Now here's a comment I actually agree with, and this person claims they've had professional reviews published on Rotten Tomatoes. This is what they had to say about the critics. They often overanalyze films unnecessarily. Nothing annoys me worse than a critic who watches something like a Transformers movie and docks it for not having a deep and enthralling storyline. It ain't Shakespeare, it's a movie about giant robots beating the crap out of each other. Watch it, enjoy it as a spectacle, and then move on. Judge things on what they are, not what they're not. The last part really comes into play with Boston Strangler, which got criticized for being drab because people expected it to be like those serial killer movies with murder every five seconds rather than a period piece mystery drama about a woman investigating serial killings that also put her in danger. In fact, it had one of the best paced storylines a period drama or a drama period could have. I was always on the edge of my seat, or I was fully engaged even in the simple conversations between the two lead women, because that's what a good movie is supposed to do. It's actually so ironic that the movie's pacing got criticized considering so many critically acclaimed movies are super slow and boring with awful pacing, and then they'll have a crazy moment or screaming match to make up for it. A movie's job in the first five minutes is to grip you and interest you in the plot and characters so that even during the slower moments, like conversations, you'll still be engaged, and then of course make those conversations relevant and well-written so it doesn't feel like a waste of your time. I feel like the super boring yet highly rated films get away with being extremely boring because they got some sort of dark or quirky or indie vibe or cover a difficult topic or have some yelling between actors so critics give it a ton of praise. This commenter also agrees as they said, Even as a critic myself, I also find that movies with 100% on Rotten Tomatoes tend to end up disappointing me. I can't count on 10 hands how many times I watch some critically acclaimed film just to end up saying, like, how? That was the most boring thing I ever seen. Then I'll turn around and fall in love with some other film with the RT score of 29% or something. I mean, seriously, y'all don't understand how confused I was to see the ratings for the first three parts of the Caribbean movies, especially the two sequels to the original. The first movie wasn't rated low or anything, it's like in the 70s, but it should be at 100%, because there are literally no flaws. None. Every element of the script is perfect and so meticulously thought out, you do kind of have to be intelligent to really get what's happening, because I won't lie, it's more complex a story than it might appear just by its premise. I've seen both critic and audience reviews actually for the third film in the main trilogy, and it's like they didn't watch the previous films or they straight up didn't pay attention to the story. Maybe the problem is that the writing is too smart. People think these movies are dumb action fodder for families. Actually, a lot of more blockbuster type movies like these don't get taken seriously at all, just because they're fun and it causes people to overlook the actual story elements like character and theme. With Pirates, the stories of the original trilogy are actually executed with such insane precision and At World's End carefully wraps up and ties together so much from the first two films. I also saw some audience reviews giving one star saying, where did Elizabeth learn to sword bite? Uh, duh, Will Totter, they literally say that in Dead Man's Chest. They were also mad because they thought her storyline in movies two and three made her too unladylike and too far away from a damsel in distress, which she never was, by the way, because the first movie was literally about her breaking free of her restrictions as a proper English woman. And she ended up rescuing both herself and Will and Jack in the same film. So how is it their fault you're a prejudiced weirdo and also that you didn't watch the previous movies in a literal series? That's like walking into Deathly Hallows Part 2 without having seen any of the seven movies that came before and being mad that they don't take time to recap why Harry is not at Hogwarts. Like these are not standalone films. 
The great thing is, of course, is that when you're rewatching, you can watch them as standalones because you already know the context. But why the hell would you watch a movie that's part of a series and not watch what came before or not review it as part of a whole? Yes, each movie needs to be evaluated for its own content, but you evaluate it given what the previous films have established. Of course, there are some series where technically they do work as standalones and you don't really need to watch what comes before, like most of the Mission Impossible movies, though 5 and 6 are actually interconnected for this particular case. And all the members of the supporting cast are introduced throughout the films and you see that bond form with Ethan, Luther, and Benji. Actually, I saw some comments daring to state their idiotic opinions that movies 3 through 6 are not good just because other people said 3 through 6 were all great and getting better and better. Like, come on now. A lot of audiences really dislike and dislike whatever with absolutely no reasoning in their heads. I also agree with the same Reddit person when they said, audience scores can be so skewed by review bombing and other inflation deflation techniques that it's hard to take any kind of aggregate method serious when dealing with the general populace. Yeah, this definitely happens a lot with popular franchises like Marvel or DC or Zack Snyder movies where they have such dedicated fans they can drive up the ratings. On the flip side, movies can get review bombed for having characters of color or gay characters, like there's this Disney movie that came out last year called Strange World that got tons of negative ratings that explicitly stated their reasoning as thinking it was inappropriate for a family movie to have a gay character, and that's not a topic that young kids need to be introduced to, and other nonsense like that. Some of the negative audience reviews for Boston Strangler were mad Kira Knightley didn't take her clothes off on screen. Like, what do you even say at that point? Other reviewers, of course, were calling it woke leftist feminist propaganda, which is a very common review bombing reason. Like everything just being called woke propaganda, which usually just means that a movie has people of color or gay people or women and in roles not acceptable to prejudiced communities. Like Halle Bailey getting cast as Ariel had them mad because they said a black mermaid was too woke. I'll talk more about that in my live action episode, but it's getting kind of apparent that the highest rated movies by audiences are typically movies that are made as if our society is mostly homogenous and aligns with the status quo, a society that those review bombers are struggling to maintain. It's actually ironic that movies will get review bombed by audiences for simply including a marginalized community or including a topic, but those same reasons will get critics to shower it with critical acclaim. This one Reddit commenter said, When a movie's talking about super controversial topics, it's trying to be woke or at least that's how people interpret it. I've noticed that professional critics will tend to give it a higher rating for its message over its craft. This person thought Green Book was a really average movie and that if it didn't deal with racism and homophobia, people wouldn't have given it attention. I've never seen that movie, but I will say it doesn't even take topics like that to garner critical acclaim. Lady Bird was hugely acclaimed just because it had this angsty, quirky teen and a rough mother-daughter relationship, but it was such a boring, pointless movie. And yet it launched Greta Gerwig as this great feminist movie director. Like, damn, you couldn't have at least tried to be more interesting? Or her partner's movie Marriage Story had Oscar noms as well for being this movie about marriage and divorce, but it literally had some of the worst, most unnatural and over-exposition-y dialogue you'll ever hear in a movie. That meme of Adam Driver screaming and hitting the wall? Go find that scene on YouTube or Twitter and see if you can stand that garbage. This same commenter also mentioned how critics loved The Last Jedi for being bold and different, but Star Wars fans hated it for screwing up the lore. I personally have so much hate for this movie that it can't be summed up here, but I will say, screwing up the lore wasn't the main reason that movie sucked. Yeah, it was part of it, but overall the movie just sent the side characters on a wild goose chase to use up screen time and there was like no point to anything that happened. There was nothing bold and different about it. Ryan Johnson, who wrote and directed this movie, also got critical and audience acclaim for his mediocre Knives Out movies because he did pretty much the same thing. Introduced some fake woke themes, didn't really get into them, didn't do a great job with the story either, but they were technically bold and different, and there's not really much else like it in Hollywood right now, so everyone loves it. So why does any of this matter? Why should we care? It's because of the triangle and how it functions. Critics, consumers, and creators all feed off each other and influence the world of entertainment content, for better or for worse. The more creators make a particular type of content, or the more audiences watch a type of content, or the more critics praise a type of content, the more of it there will be. None of these three necessarily exert any particular influence over each other. You might argue that audiences do because they're the ones paying for movie tickets or streaming services, 
but Hollywood also has the power to influence audiences through sheer volume of a type of content or critical acclaim or marketing. Nowadays, this is mostly common with streaming content because many viewers will just watch what's available and advertise to them, and even if they don't like something, they'll stick with it because they have nothing else to watch or just to see it through. And I know, because I've done this and regretted it. But I think the best way to exemplify the collective influence of the triangle is by realizing that this is why true crime and serial killer content has been at an all-time high this decade. Creatives keep pumping it out, critics keep praising it, and audiences keep consuming it. Who started this trend or obsession in Hollywood? It's probably impossible to say, but like I was saying last episode, people are just obsessed with it because it's dark and edgy content and no one really seems to complain about it. If you've listened to my episodes on You or Swarm, you'll know how I feel about the way serial killers are depicted on screen and how the media has the power to influence audience perceptions and expectations. But because of these existing preconceived notions regarding serial killer movies and shows due to years of vile or gruesome or otherwise glorifying content, people see a movie like Boston Strangler and get upset it doesn't do what every other serial killer movie has done. Of course, the movie itself isn't even a regular old serial killer thriller, but a drama and a period piece, though yes, with some suspenseful moments, but people see a serial killer and they start making assumptions about what the movie should be like. From Decider Stream It or Skip It, they said, We are in turn frustrated as viewers because the entire vibe of Strangler is green-gray, brooding, and full of growing music cues that make it feel like there's going to be a murder in every single scene. Um, why do you feel that way? Because I didn't. Maybe I'm not conditioned on movies that throw uncalled for violence and ridiculous plot twist status for the sake of surprising the viewer. But even so, why would you be frustrated? Because the danger of potential murder is very real. Just because it doesn't happen every five seconds doesn't mean it's not still a possibility. And without spoiling the ending, that's kind of what the ending suggests. That murder is always a possibility for women. They also said that following the twists and turns were pointless because of the resolution, but if anything, it's the opposite. They also wanted the movie to further build the character of one of the suspects, but again, if you've seen the ending, you should understand that doing so would be a waste of time and that it's not about the killer. It's not a character study on society's most infamous killers like all those shows and movies about Dahmer or whatever. This movie is about the relationship women had to society at the time. It's hard to talk about because I don't want to spoil it, but if you reach the main character's conclusion, you'll realize how perfectly it ties in with the theme, because at its core, this movie is not about some crazy psycho murderer, it's about how dangerous it is to be a woman in the 60s, and that theme literally still resonates today. People have dissociated from crime victims so much and made it all about the killers. Like, if you missed all that because you were hoping for a serial killer movie with many women being brutally murdered on screen for your gratification and a Freddy Krueger type bad guy, you're watching the wrong movie. And frankly, you should seek help. Of course, Decider ultimately said that the movie is worth watching, but it's worth noting that even the more positive reviews seem to miss the point because they're clouded by their own preconceived notions thanks to an industry dominated by the glorification of toxicity. In addition to critics, audiences seem to be mixed on it as well for the same reason, because they're used to true crime that glorifies the murderers. When you make a hundred movies about Jeffrey Dahmer, people get mad when you then tell a story that humanizes the victims and digs into societal aspects such as journalism and police response. They're mad that they didn't get to see all the brutal murders actually take place, and so many audiences, for some reason, enjoy seeing that on their screen. Someone even said this should have been an erotic thriller instead. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? What do we do when audiences are so used to the garbage pumped out by the industry and praised by critics, the hundreds of horrible movies and shows glorifying serial killers, and a true crime genre that thrives on sex and violence, so when they see a movie that actually takes itself and the subject matter seriously and adds various layers directly tying into society, they feel like they deserve something else. The Triangle's perpetuation of toxic or trash content actually makes it much harder for people to challenge that status quo. It's okay to like or dislike something, of course, but when you dig into the reasons why, it reveals a lot about the industry and its impact. And especially when you add trauma and mental illness to all that serial killer stuff, it just gets so much worse. I swear, people in Hollywood are so out of touch with reality. The more Hollywood makes negative content surrounding mental illness, 
The more critics keep praising it simply for being bold enough to discuss mental illness, the more audiences buy into harmful depictions and want more and even blanch at non-harmful depictions or positive depictions because they're not thrilling enough, I guess. Like, you see the problem here? And if someone wants to come in and make a movie about a killer who doesn't have mental illness, doesn't have a sad backstory, isn't some tragic sympathetic character or a super unhinged crazy person that comes second only to Michael Myers, well then those creators are screwed because critics and audiences will probably hate it for not propping up their existing preconceived notions. So what the hell do the people want? Critics and audiences both generally praised last year's smash hit Everything Everywhere All At Once, which I also really enjoyed and thought was very well done and highlighted such important themes, so I'm confused. And in cases like this, a claim can be really crucial to bringing a marginalized group to the forefront. Like just look at the box office revenue and the Oscar sweep. But even this movie had its critics with some people claiming they couldn't connect with or empathize with the characters, which we all know what that really means, okay? Y'all don't want to connect with a story about a mother-daughter relationship and generational trauma. It's because the characters weren't white. Like y'all can empathize with Lightning McQueen or other non-human animated characters, but Asian people is going too far. There's some people who will adamantly refuse to enjoy content that they think is not for them or that they think they can't self-insert into, even though the rest of us have never had any issues connecting with the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of white-centered media out there. But it's not just white people. There are people from every racial group that won't watch content centering around other people of color or even any content that doesn't star someone from a background they identify with. There are also people who hated the movie just because they didn't understand what happened and they didn't get how the sci-fi stuff in the movie represented the internal character journeys or the themes. And when you have stories in genres like sci-fi and fantasy, there's a lot of people who somehow struggle to look beneath the wand waving and miss the point. Like with Harry Potter, I was recently looking at the reviews for the different movies and while the whole series is pretty well reviewed, I just don't get the way some of these people reviewed these movies. Some people who reviewed the first two movies couldn't seem to accept that they were clearly meant for a younger audience since the main characters themselves were all under 13. The third movie is also meant for that younger audience, but because the director is a well-known name in the award circuit and he changed the visual look from warm tones to darker tones, the praise this film gets is coupled with condescension towards the other movies. Someone reviewing it called it a marked departure for the watchable yet thoroughly bland series. Like damn, what's your problem? What is bland about a magic world where things you haven't seen before exist? Another reviewer spent half their review talking about how the teens in the cast seem to have really grown up. Like, okay, you could have just made that one line. Is it super important to whether the movie's good or not? I should also mention that this review, along with a lot of other reviews listed under Rotten Tomatoes, are from random reviewers. Like, not even necessarily legit publications. Not that legit publications deserve any praise either, and that's why no one gives a damn about depressing-ass Metacritic. The fifth movie, Order of the Phoenix, got so much criticism despite being the first movie to bring politics and real-world impact into the mix. This one guy was mad that there was way too much cryptic dialogue regarding future events, apparently. Which there's literally not, so now you're just lying. Unless you mean they're setting up for the conflict to come, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do in a series. He also criticized the Room of Requirement, which is something that exists from the books, and while yes, you're supposed to see how the movie stands on its own from the book, how can you be mad that they stuck with a component that the main conflict from the source material revolves around? That would be like adapting Moby Dick and getting rid of the whale. I mean, where else were they supposed to practice? Moaning Myrtle's bathroom? Some reviewers, on the other hand, were mad that they took an 870-page book and turned it into a two-plus-hour movie. But as we see later on, people were mad about them splitting the second-longest book in the series into a two-movie finale. So what exactly do you all want? Most reviewers who didn't like this movie compared to the others saw it as a filler movie where nothing happens. But if you've seen the movie, there's literally so much that happens that affects Harry as a character in the aftermath of the game-changing ending of 4. It affects Hogwarts as a school and the entire wizarding world, including the media and the government. So I'm thinking these people straight up didn't understand the complex themes that were tackled in this movie and how they strongly reflect our own world because they were too caught up in the fact that it's a fantasy and we don't have magic in real life. Plus, did y'all not watch the entire Battle of the Department of Mysteries? How is any of that filler? Maybe y'all confused it with the book because most of the fifth book is literally just filler to get us from one June to the next. 
the movie actually gave Harry a proper character arc rather than having him just screaming at everyone all the time like in the book. So can you really review a movie badly for not sticking exactly to the source material? Because this one reviewer, a random YouTuber apparently whose reviews somehow counted for this aggregator, said that as an adaptation, the sixth movie was badly done. You do realize that a movie needs to contain a story within a two and a half hour time frame, so obviously it's not going to be a scene by scene copy when said book is over 600 pages long. This is why you can't trust book fans, because they're so obsessed with the exact story and details they read, they get mad when things are changed to fit a different medium, and honestly, changed for the better. These are the people who are mad that the extremely weird and unnecessary house off stuff got cut entirely from Goblet of Fire, the movie. Imagine if they adapted that book word for word. You would get a whole 20 minute monologue from Voldemort in the graveyard. Like that man would just be going on and on and on, and Harry would be falling asleep. Good movie adaptations like these ones will streamline and cut out scenes from the book that are just excess and not relevant to the film they're making for a general public audience to understand the main storyline of Harry. And great film adaptations like these ones will be able to turn poorly written source material into fantastic cinema. Another reviewer called this movie a for fans only entry, which is confusing since this movie introduces the only way to actually defeat the bad guy, and the events of this movie lead to a complete shift in world, character, and structure for the finale. Ironically, none of the critics brought up my own issue with the movie, which is that it spent too much time on the corny teen romances when they could have included more Tom Riddle and Horcrux-related memories from the book. But that's not the movie's fault, because the book also spends most of its time on corny teen romances, and if they did put in all the Horcrux memories, it would just be two hours of Harry and Dumbledore watching scenes from the 40s and 50s. And frankly, I still enjoyed this movie a lot because they made the corny teen romances funny rather than overly drawn out and annoying like in the book, and paced it well alongside all the other stuff that was going on. As for Deathly Hallows Part 1, someone actually said this one feels like a fragment of a story and just a fraction of a film. Well, duh, it literally is a fragment of the story. They had to split the nearly 800-page final book into two movies because there was too much going on with the main storyline for them to take parts of it out. Someone else said it's a long and boring story that could have been told in a single film, but you know damn well if they did that, people would criticize it for cramming too much into one movie, and they would have been right, because movies with a lot of plot still need breathing room. And Deathly Hallows Part 1 had such a fantastic, character-focused, and well-paced build-up to the final chapter. The reason I listed out a bunch of these reviews is to point out how with adaptations in particular, reviewers are just all over the place. People either don't understand the movies, or they're mad you left something out of the book, or they're mad you included things from the book, or they focus on unimportant details. Also, when you have a blockbuster adaptation like this, people review it more based on how much spectacle the movie has, as opposed to the characters and themes and, well, the story. Because, like I said before, movies that are fantasy or big blockbusters could have the most compelling thematic arcs and critics still wouldn't notice. How can we take reviewers seriously when they basically need things explained to them in a PowerPoint? And this goes for audiences too, like they'll dunk on something just because they were too dumb to get it, but they'll also turn around and highly rate awful movies and shows just because it happens to be unique in some aspect. Like with Bridgerton being the only period piece romance out right now. Or they'll easily forgive ridiculous nonsense like unexpected plot twists just for the sake of a plot twist, because they'd rather be gagged every five minutes for the sake of being surprised rather than watch something that makes sense. Honestly, do we even really need reviews? There was a Hulu movie called The Princess, which I watched with a friend, and we thought it was great fun. It definitely had some weak areas and it's not objectively a masterpiece or anything, but it was a very enjoyable, well put together experience with a great theme. It had a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes and honestly, I don't know how I would rate it on a numerical scale. One audience review on IMDb hated the movie so much they gave it a one star and made a super racist comment referring to the Asian side characters as a guest appearance by Mulan and her family. Like is this the kind of person I'm supposed to be listening to? Cause there's so many people like this driving up or down IMDb numbers. Who are the types of people to be rating and reviewing anyway? I personally have never left any reviews or ratings on any movie or show I've ever seen. And clearly, I got opinions, right? And doesn't a numbering system seem so arbitrary anyway? And how do you rate things you personally love a lot that have a few flaws versus things you thought were really good that you never felt compelled to watch again? So what should convince you to see a movie if not critics or audience reviews? Well, first of all, me. 
but also start thinking more rather than just having the same opinions as others. Unless that other is me, because I'm always right. When you read the description or watch the trailer or even get five minutes in after pressing play, think about how this story may affect your experience. Does the premise sound awful? Then don't watch it. Does the trailer have terrible dialogue? Then don't watch it. Is the first five minutes dragging like a bitch? Then skip ahead and if it's still boring, then stop watching. Or do watch it and think about your own personal experience watching it. And for all legs of the triangle, get smarter. Seriously, don't make content that sucks, don't praise content that sucks, and don't watch content that sucks. Film is at the intersection of literature, art, and technology, and it has such a huge impact on our society. All this to say, stop pissing me off and start aligning your opinions with mine so I don't have to keep watching the same stuff over and over again for lack of good new content. After all, to quote that 70s show, the real three branches of government are military, corporate, and Hollywood. Thanks for listening. And once again, this was Trash Talk Reverse. 